Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. We're going to keep looking at uh, Paul and Barnabas's journey that, they, that we've been looking at. Uh, you could call it their first missionary journey or, or, uh, or whatever. There is a few missionary journeys that we'll watch uh, or we'll study that the Apostle Paul has gone on, and uh, we'll see all of those. Uh, but we want to continue taking a look at this missionary journey. We got through a big portion of Acts chapter 14 last week, and I want to continue studying in Acts chapter 14 and get almost to the end because I want, to wa- I want you to catch what's taking place in Paul and Barnabas's life. So you remember last week, one of the things that we really, or the thing that we actually focused on is walking by faith and not by sight. And we talked about last week how sometimes when we're walking by faith, what happens is the enemy rises up against us to try to stop that which God is doing in our lives. And we'll see this play out in an even bigger way here in Acts chapter 14. So if you would, uh, we're going to reread some of what we did last week, uh, but uh, it'll set us up for where we're going to focus. So Acts chapter 14, verse 8, in Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand on your feet and walk. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lanonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, those whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from those worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go about their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. And so I want to pause here before we read the next two verses. And I just want you to catch what's happening here. The Lord has sent Paul and Barnabas from the church in Antioch to spread the good news of the gospel. And if you'll remember what we've seen in Paul and Barnabas is when they would get to an area, they would go into the temple and they would share the good news of the gospel. And because their specific mission or their calling that God had placed upon their lives was to actually get the gospel to everybody, they would then find the Gentiles 
who the Holy Spirit had pierced their hearts and drawn to the Word of God. And they would see countless people give their lives to Jesus, be baptized and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what's happening here. They begin to see miracles being performed because where the Holy Spirit is, he breaks the physical chains of bondage that the enemy wants to use against us in our lives. And we see when the Holy Spirit is moving, there is physical healing if it's in alignment with God's will. And this is what we just read about. A guy who had never walked, Paul saw that he had faith. He saw that he was willing to walk in in the obedience of Christ. And he called him to stand up and he began to walk. And because of this, those in the city thought that Paul and Barnabas were some fake Greek gods. And so they began to bring riches, and they began to bring flowers, and they began to offer sacrifices to them, proclaiming, hey, you guys are gods, and so we want to actually worship you. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out against that and said, we're just humans. We're just doing the will of God. And here is something that I just want to point out. And this is our message this morning, but I just want to point this out. Whenever God is at work, don't intervene and try to steal the credit. We have to make sure that we celebrate the work that God is doing and give him all the glory. Because when we ever, when we ever try to bring praise upon ourselves, that's when God stops working. Because if we want the credit, he'll let us do it on our own. But if we give him all of the credit, that's when we'll see amazing, amazing miracles performed in our midst that we could never do because it's him that's at work. So these folks are start worshiping Paul and Barnabas, and they say, no, 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 we're just humans. We're here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to save you from your sins. People were getting saved. They were celebrating what God was doing. But the Jews were adamantly opposed to this. Take a look at verse 19 and 20 with me. Acts 14. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they won the crowd over. Do you see how easy it is to win the crowd over? (laughs) They're celebrating the miracles. They're excited about what God is doing. And then some Jews come And they win the crowd over. It goes on. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. You know, Paul's really walking by faith right here, right? Because stoning somebody at this point in time was not just getting a few rocks and suffering a few blows of rocks. When they stoned you, they stoned you for death. The reason that they drugged Paul outside of the city was because they thought he was dead. The scripture tells us they thought he was dead. They drag him outside of the city and they left people outside the city gates after being stoned so that the birds and the dogs could have them because they were dead. And this is how they they disposed of the bodies of those that were stoned. So they dragged Paul outside of the city. He's dead. He's been left for the dogs and left for the birds. Then verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up. He's walking by faith here. He's not walking by sight. He got up and went back into the city. 
The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. You see, in verse 20, I, I want to point this out because this is vital for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. It says, but after the disciples had gathered around him. I love another translation. I forget which translation it was that I was reading in this week. It says, after the disciples. These are the believers who had came to faith in Jesus Christ. These are the ones that Paul and Barnabas had actually won to to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Another translation says, after the disciples had circled around Paul. You see, in order to walk by faith, you have to have believers in Jesus Christ, those that are walking in his presence surrounding you. Because when you are weak and when the world has left you for the dogs and the birds for dead outside the city, you need to draw on the faith of those that are surrounding you so that you can get up and go back into where God actually sent you. But you know what's happening here in this passage of Scripture? And it's easy, it's easy to miss. And as I was preparing for this Sunday, I was going to go a different direction. But as I was praying about this, the Lord took me back to this to see what was really happening in Paul and Barnabas' life. The enemy was trying to steal their identity. And he caused some of the Jews and some of the other believers in the town to say, hey, you are Zeus, or you're this God, or this is who you are. And it would have been a great temptation for them to walk in the recognition of what people were actually casting upon their lives. The enemy was trying to steal their identity. But we see Paul and Barnabas stand in the calling, in the identity that God had given them as the apostles to the Gentiles, so much that they stood in that, that, they, that Paul was stoned and actually left for dead. I wonder, and, and I don't want us to raise our hands, but as I wrestle with this passage of Scripture, I ask myself this question. If the crowd was coming at me to stone me, to leave me for dead, to take my life, what would my reaction be? I wrestled with that this week. I don't like pain. I don't like any pain at all. None whatsoever. I turn into a baby whenever pain comes at me. And so whenever you're coming, you don't have to say amen, Melissa. That, no, 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 no. She was nodding her head awful, awful hard. I do. I don't like pain. But I wrestled with this. If they're coming at me to take my life with stones, what's my reaction going to be? Would I say, okay, okay, I'm Zeus. I'm Zeus. Continue bringing your offerings to me. Continue bringing me your treasures. Continue giving me the sacrifice. Continue setting me up to be a God or stone me. You know, I believe that the greatest ploy of the enemy today is he wants to steal our identity. I think it's the greatest ploy. And I think that if we were to take a look and examine what the enemy has done from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 is that the liar, the enemy, was trying to steal identity every step of the way. And I want to be very bold this morning. And I'm not standing on my own words. I'm standing on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And we, as his followers, have to either stand on the truth and take the stones that they want to throw throw at us to leave us for dead, or just give up right now. Because it's not going to get any easier in this world that we live in. Read the book of Revelation. It doesn't get any easier for us. And if we give in to the lies of the enemy and allow him to steal our identity, then we don't even know who we are. And that's the attack on this generation that's coming up today. The enemy wants to tell them you were born wrong. You can be whoever you want to be. You can just change it. God somehow made a mistake when he was knitting you together in your mother's womb. And so you can be whatever or whoever that you want to be. You see, the enemy wants to steal our identity. He was doing it here in Acts chapter 14. And Paul and Barnabas could have given in to the temptation of a different identity that they were lying and projecting upon them. Listen, we have to be as determined as Paul and Barnabas was in Acts chapter 14, us today in 2023, otherwise we have fallen prey to the enemy. And if we don't stand up for truth, then who is going to stand up for truth? Because the liar, the enemy, will disguise and pervert truth for his glory. There is, uh, you have to catch this, there, and you have to understand this, so that we can be resolute, and we are who God says we are. There is an unseen spiritual war that is going on over your and my identity, and we have to call it out. And for those that are coming in the next generation, we have to stand as warriors over them, fighting this unseen spiritual war, protecting them so that they can mature in faith and learn how to walk by faith and not by sight. So so what does it mean that the enemy wants to steal our identity? We have to start there. What does it mean that the enemy wants to steal our identity? Well, you have to catch this passage of Scripture in, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul, Paul who was stoned here, would later write this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's your identity. If you are in Christ, and catch the rest of this verse, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. And I love this passage of Scripture, because it reminds us that if we are in Christ, what used to be doesn't exist any longer. There's a song, I've I've talked about this song a couple of times. Uh, There's an old gospel song, and it was a very, very popular song. It went to number one on the charts. There were a number of groups that actually sang this song. It says, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's a great theory, but it's wrong. Because if you're calling yourself a sinner, then what you've done is go and get the old and bring it into the present. And God does not look at sin. And if you are calling yourself a sinner, then you are calling yourself the identity that the enemy wants you to take back onto your life. 
The scripture is clear. Whenever you enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, the old, that sin is gone. The new has come. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't sin. That doesn't mean that we don't mess up. But yet, because we do that, that does not make us a sinner. That makes us disobedient. And we repent and turn from that, ask for forgiveness, and walk back in the newness of life that God actually has for us. When God looks at us, He does not look at us and see sin. He looks at us and He sees His righteousness that He paid for on the cross. So you can either be His righteousness or you can be His sin. But you can't be both. You have to choose. And if you want to go be sin, I'm just a sinner, then you are actually allowing the enemy to claim something over you that was broken at Calvary's cross. And you're walking in the old instead of the newness of life. Now, Paul would talk about this all throughout the book of Romans. If you want to see Paul, and, and some in Corinthians, if you want to see Paul struggle with this, he actually laid it out. Here all, and, and, and there's lots, there's books that's been written about this. There's churches that have been split over this. There are um, theologians that disagree over this, but Paul laid it out for us. He said, I don't do what I want to do, and what I want to do is not what I do. He wrestled with that. But he, if you'll notice what Paul didn't do, he never took the sin upon himself because he remembered that his sin was actually placed on Jesus Christ on the cross, and at the cross of Calvary, he became our sin. So we don't carry that with us any longer, but instead we walk in the newness of life as his righteousness. And here in, in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas know what the enemy's trying to do by stealing their identity and make them something that they are not. And they stand up for the gospel. They stand up for the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul is stoned and left for dead for it. You see, you have to determine right here and right now that you're not going to take the lies of the enemy and let him project them upon you. But instead, you're going to stand against the lies of our society and the lies of the enemy and say, I am not that. Instead, I am who God says that I am. And you've got to determine that before you get to the fight. Because if Paul had waited until he got to the fight and they're standing there with stones, he probably would have become a baby just like I do whenever pain is coming at me. He probably would have said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's talk about this for just a minute. And maybe he would have tried to talk his way out of that. But you know what, you know what Paul knew in this moment? Paul knew that the enemy, Satan, cannot create. Now, now catch this, because this is where the root of his lies are about your identity. The enemy cannot create all the enemy does is distort what God created. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. Who's the creator? God is the creator. There is nothing, the scripture is clear, there is nothing that has been made that was not made by him. He is the only one that can create. Oh, we think, oh, we can create a baby, right? No, no, no. Go read Psalms. Go read, go read the truth of the scripture the scripture says that he actually did the knitting inside of our mother's womb. That he is the one who actually did the work inside of us. It's he that is the creator. 
But the enemy wants to take the lie that he can create something or you can actually create whatever you want your identity to be. You don't like the way that you are? Go make something else. If you don't like what you are, then go change it. You can actually be something. And I'm talking about gender. The enemy says you can be whatever gender that you want to be. You can create your own gender, but you can't. And I find it so crazy that the enemy who wants to use science that says the Big Bang happened, the enemy that wants to use science for carbon dating to saying that the world is billions and billions of years old, whenever it comes to gender, science goes out the window. You see, the enemy's a liar. He's a liar. And he wants you to create whatever you want to be. But he can't create. We can't create. But we can be in relationship with the creator. Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 14 were standing on the solid foundation that God is always right and God never fails. And they staked their lives on it. They laid everything down in this moment and said, take my life if you want to. But I know that the enemy is a liar. And I know that the enemy can only distort, pervert, and destroy that which God has made. I am not Zeus. I am not a god. I am only his chosen righteousness and the apostle. That's, that was the mindset of Paul and Barnabas in this passage of Scripture. So I want to share with you just for a couple of minutes this morning a few lies that the enemy will use in your life to actually try to steal your identity. I've talked a good bit about gender this morning. That is just one area where the enemy wants to lie. But there are so many. And you can say, well, that's nothing that's ever struggled for. That, that's fine. But still, the greatest, the greatest attack of the enemy in all of our lives is he wants to steal our identity. And he will even use religious language to try to steal it from us so that he can lie, distort, and pervert that which God has done. Some lies from the enemy. He'll want to lie to you and say, I am what I do. I am what I do. A lot of times, people ask me, who are you? You know what the greatest, I mean, the most common response that I would just default back on? I'll say, I'm a pastor. I'm so much more than a pastor. If somebody says, well, who are you? You say, well, I'm a professor, I'm a teacher, I'm a banker, I'm a salesman, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a mother, I'm a father. You are so much more than that. You are so much more than that. God has some of those things for you, and God works in every one of those things. But you are a child of God. You are a creation of the Most High. Listen, there's nothing greater than that. Peter actually said it this way. Peter reminded us who we are. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this. You are royal priests. That's who we are. We have the identity of our king that was deposited inside of us. 
We've been chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The old is gone. The new has come. We're not in darkness any longer, but we as royal priests are walking in his wonderful, marvelous light. This is our identity. And so we cannot find our identity in what we do, but instead we find our identity in who he is and has invited us into relationship with. So don't buy the lie that you are what you do. What you do helps fulfill who you are. Don't mix it up. The enemy will try to erase the line there. He'll want to make it a gray area, but you can't do that. The second is the enemy wants to tell you that you're a mistake. This is a part of the gender wars that's taking place right now. You're a mistake. You were made wrong. You were born with the wrong gender. You can actually change that. But even much, much greater than that, the enemy will want to take us back a little bit further, and he may make you think that you're a mistake. Something that I, I actually struggled with when I was in Bible college. It was a, a, couple of, a period of a couple of months there, um, and I struggled with that. I was not planned by my parents. Instead, I was planned by my father. God planned me. My parents didn't. I struggled with that. My parents weren't married. My parents got married. And then the enemy used that against me. Their marriage didn't work out. And so one of the lies in all of this from the enemy was that I was a mistake. Well, I had to stand upon the word of God. And I had to go back and I had to resolve for myself that it was God that knit me together in my mother's womb. And if the creator created me, Therefore, the creator does not make mistakes. And so if God made you, and he did, he did not make a mistake. He made you the way that you are so that he can redeem you and then use you for his glory and his honor. You are not a mistake. You can't buy into that lie from the enemy. Because if the enemy can get you to believe that you're a mistake, then therefore everything that comes out of you or everything that's produced is then a mistake. Because mistakes continue to produce mistakes. We aren't mistakes. We were created by God. And whenever we see these lies in our lives, we have to call it out. We have to go back and live out the theology of God's word and apply it in our lives. Now, the enemy sometimes isn't so bold, and he doesn't come and stand before you and say, you're a mistake. If the enemy did that, it would be easy. Hey, I know that you're lying. But what the enemy will do is plant this seed in your mind so that whenever you make a mistake or whenever something does go wrong in your life, he doesn't have to tell you, because we haven't rooted out the lies from the enemy into our lives, and so then we buy into that. And it sometimes played out like this. Well, I can't do anything right. This is just my luck. I can't catch a break. Woe is me. And then we walk around like little Eeyores because we've bought into that lie from the enemy where he's trying to steal our identity that we are a mistake. Stop it. End it. Overcome it with the truth of God's word. The third thing I believe the enemy does 
is he'll tell us that our life has no purpose. And sometimes we get caught up in life itself, and it just seems like we're going with the flow of things. Or we'll actually be told that by other people in our lives. But just go with the flow and see where life leads you. Well, what does the Scripture say? The Lord orders our steps. If the Lord orders your steps, that kind of seems to me that He has purpose and destiny for you. The Lord orders your steps. Wow. There's purpose there. But the enemy wants to pervert that. The enemy wants to distort that. We've got to get back to the Word of God and reverse the lies of the enemy with the truth. And and the fourth thing, and this is a big one, is that you have to be perfect. You have to be perfect. I hear this a lot when people think, I want to I come to Jesus. I sense the Holy Spirit is actually drawing me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to clean up my act, and then I'm actually going to come to God. No, you can't clean up your act. Only He can clean up your act. And the reason you haven't cleaned up your act is because you've been trying to clean up your act, and you haven't invited Him to do the cleaning up in your life. And so we have to stop allowing the enemy to steal the identity that we have to be perfect. On this side of heaven, you will never be perfect. And if you tell me you are perfect and you haven't sinned, then you've contradicted the scripture. Therefore, you are repeating the lies of the enemy. None of us are perfect and will never be perfect until we walk through the pearly gates and we're in eternity. We strive to be perfect, and we strive to be just like Him, but we're still in this mortal body. Paul was clear in this. You don't have to be perfect to achieve your identity in Jesus Christ. You exchange your imperfection for His perfection, and then you become the righteousness of God. You see, the enemy wants you to think that you have to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, then there's something wrong with you. Well, you know what? There's something wrong with all of us. It's called flesh. And until we exchange this flesh for our immortality in heaven, we will never be fully the way that God intended for us to be. You see, the enemy wants to steal your identity. And we just give in time after time, after time, after time, after time again, forgetting that we are a royal priesthood chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God that called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So the question here from 1 Peter, that we are priests, we're we're a royal priesthood, The question here for all of us that we have to resolve, and Paul and Barnabas had resolved this here in Acts chapter 14. That's why they were able to withstand the stoning, being left for dead. The disciples surrounded Paul in a circle. They walked back into the city, then they got up, and then they went on. We have to ask ourselves the question, what does a royal priesthood do? Well, Paul, or Peter said here in, in 2 Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that we're a royal priesthood. We're chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God. Do you know what a priesthood does? The priesthood represents the priest, the great high priest, which is Jesus Christ. So there we find our actual identity. We're not bankers. We're not pastors. 
We're not mothers. We're not fathers. We're not salesmen. We're not teachers. We're not, we're not all of those things first. Those are some of the things that we actually do. But we are a royal priesthood. And all of these things that I just mentioned are things that God chose for us as he's ordered our steps to help us fulfill the royal priesthood chosen to tell of his wonderful works. Your identity is rooted in Jesus Christ and all you have to do is simply reflect him. That's it. Don't reflect yourself. Don't reflect somebody else. Don't reflect a picture that you think is better than yourself. All you have to do is simply reflect Jesus Christ. Telling of his wonderful, marvelous works. There is no greater position. There is no greater identity than being a royal priesthood. That is who you are. So the song that we sing, I am who you say I am. It's not I am who I say I am. It's not I am who somebody around me says that I am. It's not who the enemy says that I am. It's not who society or the culture says that I am. We are who he says that we are. And the greatest way, the greatest way that you can discover your identity is to find out who he is. I would write that down. The greatest way that you discover your identity is to find out who he is. Because if we reflect him and tell about his marvelous works, then we have to know who he is. And if we don't know who he is, then we'll never know who we are. A royal priesthood that represents the high priest has to be connected to the priest. And I'll tell you the greatest way to discover who he is is to get into the Word of God. It's right here. Some of us have begged God to speak to us. Some of us have wrestled with God and say, God, please speak to me when He has, and it's here. God has spoken. Now, He continues to speak to us. God is not confined to some pages in a book, but it starts here in His Word where we can discover who He is and discover what He said so that we can then discover who we actually are as His royal priesthood. You've got to find time in your day to be in the Word of God and to figure out who God is so that you will know who you are so that if they come to stone you the way that they were coming and they stoned Paul here, you will be able to withstand the stoning standing upon who God actually made you to be. Because if you don't know who you are, then when they come at you with stones, you're more likely to give in to the lies of the enemy or to give up and say, yep, I am who you want me to be. But instead, we have to be who he says that we are. So have you wrestled with your identity? Have you wrestled with the lies of the enemy in your life? And you're trying to figure this out? Listen, this is, this is a big part of why we have a preschool through 12th grade school. This is a big part of what we do as a church. And it's not separate. There's a school and there's a church. Because if you separate the work of a school from the work, God is all about the church. It's his bride. God never works outside of his bride. 
This is the structure that God has ordained. And we can't separate the work from a school, from the church, and help kids discover their identity. Or they can get some truths, and they can do a great job, but God works inside the parameters of his bride, his body, which is the church. And that's why we have a preschool through 12th grade school. So that we as a church, as a royal priesthood, can instill in the next generation that they can overcome the lies of the enemy as a royal priesthood and be who God created them to be. Absent the word of God, we can never be who God created us to be. And so we've got to be in his word 100%. But I want to leave you another passage of scripture before we close this morning. It's another passage from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says this, therefore, wait a minute, I've, I've gone backwards here. I don't have this passage here. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. I don't have it up there because it hit me as I was down here this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Catch this first because this is going to be key for us in understanding our identity. Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So what Paul is saying there is every lie from the enemy, the Michael Chambliss translation, every lie from the enemy and the work of the enemy, we actually demolish those arguments with the knowledge of God. Where do we get the knowledge of God? It's in his word. It's in his word. And so whenever the enemy comes at us with these fake lies and fighting for our identity, and fighting for the identity of our youth. We go to the Word of God, because it stops the lies of the enemy. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. And so this is what we fight with. This is where we start. And then Paul says, now catch this, because we can't just stop there. We have to continue in that verse. Paul then says, and we take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought has to be obedient to Christ. You see, what the enemy does is he plants little seeds of thoughts in your mind. And he'll try to tell you that you're this. Or he'll try to tell you that you're this. He's not so bold always, but he's planting these things, and then they come out eventually. And Paul says you have to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so whenever you have a thought, what you have to do is step back from that thought and say, does it agree with God's word? If it doesn't, you have to take it captive and destroy it. That's what Paul said. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So ask yourself, what thought have you had? Now come to the word of God with that thought. Take it captive. Make it obedient to the word of God. And if it's true, you live it. If it's not, you destroy it with the word of God. With sharper than any two-edged sword. This isn't just true with our identity. It's true in every area of our life. I'm this. I want to do this. I like this. I don't like that. Well, take those thoughts and align it with the Word of God. 
If it stands on the word of God, live it. If it doesn't, crucify it. This, this is how we live out being a royal priesthood. And you know what? We'll never be the refuge of grace that God wants us to be. Never be the refuge of grace that God wants us to be until each of us claim our identity in the royal priesthood. Because it's there, it's there that we can begin to live and move and have our being and know who we are and whose we are so that whatever the enemy brings at us, we can stand on the word of God. So what lies, what lies has the enemy been throwing at you? What lies have you been tempted to live and buy into? What are the things that you thought, oh, it's okay this time. It's okay if I'm, I'll just do this or be this this time. Because I can then come. What are those lies that you bought into? Or what are those lies that you may have started living? What are those thoughts that now you need to take them captive and subject them to the word of God? What has the enemy been battling against you this morning? This morning, I want us to live out Acts chapter 14. Paul was standing on the word of God. Paul did what God asked him to do, and they stoned him for it. And then, whenever he was left for dead, the other believers surrounded him. You know, maybe this morning, maybe this morning you just need some other believers to gather around you, to strengthen, so you can pull on their faith, and you can pull on their strength this morning. Where has the enemy been battling? And where has he been coming at you and fighting against you? And it's been so hard to stand up. And it's been so hard to overcome. This morning, we've got to take those thoughts captive, subject them to the word of God, crucify the lies, and allow some believers to come around you so that we rely on the strength of each other. If God has spoken to you this morning then I want to ask you to do just that. Maybe you want to come and you want to kneel and pray at an altar all by yourself. That's fine. If that's the case, then I want to ask you to pray here in this center altar right here. If you want to pray by yourself, I want you to pray right here. Maybe, maybe you've got to have some other believers come around you. If you want somebody to pray with you, Come and kneel at one of these altars. We'll make sure that somebody comes and we pray with you. Or maybe as you're coming to the altar, you grab somebody's hand and say, would you come and pray with me? I need you to circle around me this morning. In this moment, though, I want us to discern the lies of the enemy over our life and listen to him. We're not who the enemy says that we are. We are who he says that we are. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.